Welcome to Bell Curve. I'm Rachel Breyers, joined by my co-hosts, Mary Scott Hunter and Liz Bashirs. And today we are picking up on a conversation about generational differences that we actually started almost exactly a year ago. Crazy. With our guest, generational expert, Kristen Scroggin. Welcome back, Kristen. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. So a year ago, we published an episode featuring Kristen called Why Everyone Hates Millennials. Though Kristen, I know you'd say you definitely don't hate millennials. True. So that gave us such a deep understanding really of the current living generations and some of their foibles and funny, unique characteristics. So I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to laugh a lot. Today's episode, we're going to go more into some of the current dynamics, tensions, challenges, opportunities that have a distinctly generational flavor to them. So we'll get into the great resignation or the great reshuffle, as it's being called. We'll talk about some common conflicts and communication differences that you often see, Kristen. Much more that we're going to get into. But before we dive into that, let me just say a quick reminder word about Kristen. Kristen is a communications professor at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. She is also the owner of Gen Y Communications. That's why, that's in why. So that's a training company that focuses on generational diversity. She really has become a renowned expert in this space. She just told us that she's presenting at Procter and Gamble and she's doing all kinds of Air Force training and just all over the place with Fortune 500 companies and large governmental agencies and many others who are trying to understand, like we are, how to navigate generational differences. Also on a personal note, you know, I said in our last episode that humor is so important to me. People who can make me laugh are pure gold in my book. So I would encourage everybody to follow Kristen on social media. She puts up y'all these funny, funny videos about all things generations. And I have gotten many laugh out loud doses of serotonin from your videos, Kristen. So thank you. Um, So let's just dive right in, Kristen, without going deeply into all of the generations like we did last time, would you just give us a quick reminder of how you and your team have divided up the generations and named them? Sure, absolutely. So normally when people talk about generations, they talk about them in 20-year spans, and you have to remember that things like Pew Research or Census Bureaus are always going to go on the 10, so they're going to go on the decades. What we do with my company is we look at what events in human history uh, would potentially change the way that people parent and give a collective memory to a childhood. So when you share a common childhood, then you share a common viewpoint, which you take with you the rest of your life. This is why people who were raised in other parts of the country will retain their accents far, far into their adulthood because it's the formative years that sort of make you who you are. So what we do is we look at actually the micro generations and say, okay, these event, that a big event happened here and it changed things. So for example, things were different um, after the Great Depression, right? Things were different after uh, 9-11, things were great, were different after the New Deal came in after the Great Depression. That, that's a slight change, I mean, pretty big change. Now dad could find a job. So finding all of those little changes and what's happening with music, theater, art, movies, politics, economics, are we at war, are we not at war? All of that comes together to shape a collective childhood and viewpoint norm. So we look at things more from a seven to 10 year span based on when things uh, broke up. There's still usually enough crossover because 
very often parents will have children in a 20 year span. So that's why people get lumped together. But, uh, but, but if you really look at each one of those 10 years, those decades, you'll find that they're far different. Uh, and when they get lumped in together, people usually get mad. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. People, people do get mad. Like, I think you said that I was, so I'm an older millennial, which is a zennial to your view. Right. right? Not, yeah. A Gen X and Liz is our young millennial. Darn you, Liz. <laughs> See, the thing is I'm right in the middle of what you would typically call the millennial bucket. I have a younger sister who's eight years younger than me, who is right on that edge. And I would not consider her so you know millennial at all. So horrible, Rachel, is people started calling people that are in the Zen, like that crossover right between what well, we would call them cusper people that are on three years of either side of a generation divide. Um, people that are calling uh, on, on your generation and then the very oldest of the millennials, they're calling them geriatric millennials. Have you heard this? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> terrible. That's way better. <laughs> I would rather be a zennial than a geriatric millennial. Me too. You spent your whole life telling these people grow up, buy a house, have children. And then the minute that they finally do it, you're like, you're geriatric. Like, you can't <laughs> win for losing, right? So yeah, that, so I, I, I prefer zennial preference, you know. Yeah, star yeah. post star wars generation that sounds much nicer to me i love that i'm very firmly a gen xer totally bleak cynical and disaffected so <laughs> yes just own that just do that you <laughs> do, do that. you yeah well, gen x isn't worried what anybody thinks yeah so so let's get into some of what we we said at the beginning here so one of the hottest topics in organizations right now as we all know is that really throughout the past year there's this idea of the great resignation or the great reshuffle i know you posted uh, or you commented on a post recently that was from Business Insider saying that January was the eighth straight month where more than mm -hmm. 4 million Americans left their jobs. Quits are still up 23% above pre-pandemic levels. So talk to us about that. And, you know, many organizations are really seeing young talent leave because, hey, there's a demand, there's a plethora of recruiting bonuses and higher pay and better benefits that can be disruptive. So tell us about that and, and what that has to do with generations. Well, I, you know, I was actually telling my students today, I feel like the, the word of 2022 is churn. Every, that's the word I hear everywhere. It's because we don't really have a plan of how we're going to fix anything yet because we're still in the middle of the trauma. We're still in the middle of the big event. And so there's a lot of sort of churn and um, guesstimating how we're going to do things. And, so, and whenever you're in that tumultuous time where you're literally reinventing what the next 60 to 80 years worth of work is going to look like, it's going to be a bit more tumultuous. Uh, so what I am seeing a lot of people are not really accounting for is the amount of people who are in the Gen X and Zennial category who are really part of this great resignation. They're not calling them out the same way that they're calling those millennials out. You know, they like, to, it's easy to look at the millennials and be like, oh, kids today and they will never keep a job. But what's happening in many companies and organizations is people who have been there for 10, 15, 20 years, all of a sudden companies are saying, Saying, you're going to come back into the office or you're not going to work here. And those people are like, deuces, I'm not going to work here then. And, and so that's really uh, confusing. And, it's, and because we're small, you're not having like, we're not getting lumped in in the same sort of way. But you've got a whole lot of people in that Gen X category who are looking at their employers and saying, show me how I have not been effective from my home for the past two years. And then we'll talk about me having to get up two hours early to shower, commute in crazy traffic, pay $4.65 a gallon of gas, right? I mean, we're, we're in this situation of until you can show me that there's something going to happen at the workplace that I can't do at home, 
I'm not coming. So I think that, that people are underestimating that. Have you seen that in, in your experience? Definitely. I think the big question for, you know, that I see among my Gen X women friends is the, the term I hear, is it worth it? Is it mm-hmm. worth it? And they are constantly asking that question. I mean, at, like from a soul searching standpoint, right. but also your bank account, your just your everything, your lifestyle, you know, you know, at this point, a lot of them have built up savings, they've paid off things, you know, maybe they have a mortgage, but no car payments, they don't have to work that hard. They just don't. And so they're asking themselves the question, their kids are getting, you know, into between the teen years, you know, maybe some are going off to college, they're like, is this worth it? You know, that's, that's what I'm hearing over and over from my Gen X women friends. Yeah, a hundred percent. And people that, you know, previously we, everyone looked at Gen Xers and said they're worker bees. They're just going to get the job done. And that's very much what we had been pre, 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 um, pre pandemic. It was sort of the idea of, I'm going to go in, I'm going to put in my time. I'm going to cause as little drama as possible. And then I'm going to leave as fast as I can. And I'm going to retire at 57 and I am out of here. And so we, that, that was sort of the plan that happened um, across the board, because for years, Gen Xers came into the workplace saying, I want some semblance of work-life balance. It's always been the thing. But in America, you must have two things in order to have power, to be a big decision maker. You must have the numbers, right? You must have the majority, and you must have the money. Well, guess which generation has had the majority and the money the vast majority of their lives? It's been the baby boomers, who their entire careers have been doing pretty much the same pattern. I get up at the same time. I eat the same breakfast. I drive the same route. I see my buddies at work. We hang out, maybe have a meeting or two, right? And so they, 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 and they also are way more social than Xers. They, they prefer, they like it. They're all about hanging out with one another. And Gen Xers are like, please God, no. Um, so, so we- Get out this, of my office, leave right. me alone. Let oh, me yeah, do the don't, job. I don't want to hear about your grandchild's ballet recital. Shut up, do your work. So, so we, we have this weird sort of situation of before we were like, well, I can't afford my house, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with whatever weird things they throw at me because I have to be able to afford my lifestyle. But then the pandemic happened and all of a sudden companies who, and organizations who for years had said under no circumstances could we ever work from home were magically within a week able to do it. And so all of a sudden Gen Xers are like, Hmm. Say again. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where I think we're having an interesting um, situation is Gen Xers who no one ever expected to take a stand are now in uh, middle management and they're going, I'm not, go- I'm not going to come back in. And what are you going to do about it? So in my opinion, from what I'm reading, this is why hybrid has become the main conversation is because many of the Gen Xers will say, okay, if you have to have us come in because you just can't survive, I'll give you two days and that's it. And while I come in for those two days, you better be doing things that don't involve me just sitting at my computer and doing data entry, right? So we're gonna have cross, if it's gonna be social and build our culture, then by goodness, when I come in on Tuesday and Wednesday, we better be social and building our culture. I want popcorn, right? I mean, that's sort of the idea. Kristen, what about that idea of, you know, millennials who, and I think it was your point, you said that, you know, they've been told you're not special. Hey, guess what? Heads up. You're in the workplace now. You've been told as children, you're special. You aren't special. You're replaceable. And they're like, well, okay, then see ya because there's benefits, bonuses, better pay, et cetera. And you're I heard something 
a little bit to say there too, as somebody who's been on both sides of that very recently as a millennial, I'm 32. I'm like smack dab in the middle of it. Um, And I changed jobs in November and got a significant pay increase, significant increase in responsibility. Um, and now I'm in a place where I'm trying to hire somebody or a couple of people to work underneath me. And I'm, I'm looking at 23, 24 year olds asking to make the same amount that I make for three, three years, <laughs> three years of experience here. Oh, I, um, I, so I'm, I'm in the middle of doing a new survey on Gen X. I'm up to about 300 new Gen Z's that I'm, that I'm working with. So there's 25 year olds and below. And the, the, uh, most of them expect to make 60,000 or above that are, that are, and I'm like, uh, what? I don't, I'm your prof and I don't make 60,000. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so I don't know if they just have a skewed viewpoint. They haven't handled money enough necessarily during this time to know how much money that actually is. But yeah, I think you're hitting an interesting point of, um, millennials came in during the great recession and everybody looked at him and said there's a whole lot of you and you're just lucky if you find a job and so then they kind of were like all right well you're right um all money is good money so let's do that and then as things started to climb and but now they're looking at it and they're like hold on hold on hold on you're telling me mcdonald's is making 12 dollars an hour and i'm making 10 no no sir so i think that that's actually part of it is they are, they're looking at it as this is an opportunity to rene- renegotiate salary lines. Because as you and I both know, the cost of living raises usually don't do a whole lot. And when inflation is as at a high rate as it is right now, that causes problems all over again. So I think a lot of, a lot of millennials are looking at it as this is a chance for me to renegotiate my setting point um, and kind of get out, get myself out of the situation where I had to settle, I had to be a yes man, and now I can come in and say, these are my terms, this is what I want, this is how, how I'm going to work for you, take me or leave me. So I think that that's part of the great reshuffle that you're, that you're dealing with right now. And uh, you can imagine that people aren't loving that. Now, do you think right. to some extent it's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, we have so much conversation about the, the great reshuffle and, oh, the job market is super competitive right now. So we've got to make really competitive offers or people are going to leave. And so there's almost a ratchet effect, or is that just something that I'm No, I think at? you're right. I think that the more, you know, the more you talk about something, the bigger it is, right? So it's kind of like, have you ever noticed that during a, sl- a slow new summer, magically, there's a lot more shark attacks. So there's some level of with it being constantly at the forefront of the conversation, uh, there's a lot of people that there's some companies that are probably not really in a labor shortage at all. But if you hear it all the time, it starts to make you go, "Ooh, maybe I'm not scaling correctly. Or if everyone else is in a labor shortage and I'm not, what am I, what am I missing out on? Maybe I should go ahead and prepay people higher amounts. Um, so I, I think that there is a little bit of, if you talk about something enough, that it moves to the forefront of people's brains and people scramble in a different way. But then you do have an awful lot of people who were essential workers, right? And they said, if I'm so essential, um, I'm going to take a stand and you're going to pay me like I'm essential. And so, but that happens a lot. You know, there's usually large world events and then pretty pretty fast after that, there's sort of some some level of labor uprising where labor, you know, they take a stand. So it's not... If you look through history, it's not uncharacteristic for things to be falling exactly the way they fall. As much as we want to pretend we're in charge of things, we're pretty darn cyclical. So, yeah, I think that because we talk about it all the time, people are scaling before they're ready or they're, they're, you know, they're panicking. Um, And so many people lost their whole companies 
uh, in, in that first year of the pandemic that everyone's kind of looking at it and going, oh, I don't want to be like Bob or I don't want to be like Jen or I don't. So so they're they're making maybe uh, knee jerk reactions that aren't necessarily right for their particular company. Kristen, let's let's talk a little bit about maybe some specific examples. You know, we'd love to hear more about recurring generational tension points that maybe you hear about or have studied. What are some of those common challenges you see? And give us some tips for how to navigate those differences. So it's funnily enough, we're 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 still on the dress code conversation. And it amazes me that the whole world just worked from the their kitchen in their jammies. And then they're, you know, and that there's somebody that's like, how dare you, right? Come in here with flip-flops on. You're not professional. So, um, I, you know, I think, I think we're- This we're is hitting really close to home right now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> dude. I mean, oh, it is right. a big conversation. I have lots of people that say, I'm not going to hire that pink haired girl. And I'm like, pretty soon you're not going to find a girl without pink hair. So you better make a plan to get a good one. So it's interesting because even if you, you read about the Crown Act, have you are, are you guys familiar with the Crown Act that was recently passed? So a lot of the Crown Act really talks about that it, um, you can't discriminate by calling a hair unprofessional, right? In particular, we've seen this through ethnicities and where they've not been able to wear like dreadlocks, for example, or twists or things like that because people have said it's unprofessional. So it was a form of discrimination to some degree. Well, to me, that's a really interesting, point, right, is that all of a sudden we're having conversations about hair, and nobody would have thought 10 years ago that anybody was going to advocate for you should be able to wear your hair the way you want to be able to wear your hair and not be discriminated against that. Um, so I think it's really interesting. These conversations are coming up far more frequently. So I think hair, tattoos, beards, have you noticed the amount of beards? Oh, we got a lot of beardos, right, walking around. So, um, so I think you're having more conversations about people using their body and their clothing as a means of expression and less about having to, to look a certain way. Um, so I think that's still a point of contention. You are still going to have many baby boomers who were trained by their traditionalist bosses that if you want to be respected, there is a certain uniform you must wear. And if you don't wear that uniform, then you won't be respected. Um, but what we forget is that there's millennials that are looking at you in your suit and they're like, dude, you can't work your cell phone. So I don't respect you anyway. Right. So <laughs> you, you can't. <laughs> you can't control alt delete so you can wear pinstripes till your head falls off but you don't know how to work anything i don't respect you so <laughs> i think you have a little bit of, of that going on um in the back and dress code is continues to be a conversation um uh, one of the big things i think many companies are working with and are really gonna struggle with is that for for i would say at least the past hundred years it's been very much about we bought your hours we paid x amount of money per hour Right. You think about even the government work, Mary Scott. Right. The idea is, is even in the military, we bought your hours. If we want to wake you up and make you stand around for three hours before we actually go. Those anywhere, are our hours. We bought those hours. Right. And so they, we, they picked that up and they moved it into the industrial system of we, we bought your actual hours. So now the problem is, is that the American workplace. Right. We've reduced the amount of redundancy and we've increased the amount of people in the workplace who can work really, really fast, right? They know the hacks, they know the switch codes, they know the sticky letters. They, you know, they, we get mad at them because they do a PowerPoint in two hours and it takes us two weeks. And we're like, how dare you? 
You know, like they've been trained to move faster. So now we have less having to walk all the way across the campus to, to send, give somebody a piece of paper or enter office mail, less of the typewriter and, oh, I misspelled a word. I have to completely start over. So all of a sudden we're having to look at it and go, hmm, maybe we don't legitimately need eight hours in order to do <laughs> this job. So how are we going to assess people? And so you have in particular millennials and, the, and Gen Zs on the background who are saying, how about by quality? right? How about the quality of stuff that I turn in? If it's good, why do you care how long it takes me to get it done? You are buying my human capital, my brain, my ability to complete tasks. But you have to remember that boomers were definitely trained by their traditionalist bosses of, we bought eight hours of work from you. And so you are going to sit here. And even if you have to fake work, you're going to sit here this whole eight hours. So I think you've got a little clash that's happening between these two groups. You see a lot of people who are on the younger side that are like, if I finish this in a half a day and it's good, why do I still have to sit around for four more hours? Um, and, and, and then you've got other people that are like, I want you to keep a log, right, of how many hours you've done and check in with me. They'll set up, set up meetings late, late, late in the day um, with the intention of, potentially catching someone not working. Uh, and, and that to me is a culture thing. You know, people talk about their corporate culture all the time. If you're, you're trying to bust someone for not working, um, then you probably don't have a super healthy culture. You might have a ping pong table and you might give them popcorn and, and health benefits. But if you are constantly making them do charting and work and meeting, 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 because you don't trust them, that's, that's a culture issue. And that's why I think they're really leaving is because it's not so much about the work. Normally we don't leave people because we hate the, hate the job, right? It's normally because we hate the people that we work with. And so whether you are virtual or whether you are face-to-face, -face, if you're being micromanaged in either way, Gen Xers are like, nope. And millennials are like, nope. And then you've got Gen Zs that are like, please God, tell me what to do. Um, a lot of them haven't even been onboarded. You know, they've been working for two years and they've not been properly trained yet. So that's a very long way around to say that, you know, some of the issues that, that we have are, are coming out of this churn of what is this new version of work going to look like if people can, if it doesn't matter how many hours, it doesn't matter what day, it doesn't matter what time of the day that you work. This, this is confusing to people of how are we going to assess whether you are good or not. Um, and that's a lot of drama. And I think it's going to be a lot of drama for some time. I don't think it's, that's not going away anytime soon. So I, I have a specific question uh, for you about Gen X women. Um, at the beginning, I jokingly described us as bleak, cynical, and disaffected. And you do see a lot of that. Um, but I prefer to think of us as self-sufficient, resourceful, individualistic. I think those are the positive aspects of that. Um, and I, but a lot, a word that you hear a lot, Kristen, when describing Gen Xers um, is skeptical. Mm. Now, when I was in politics, I said this to myself, not out loud all the time, but give me a room full of skeptics over a room full of believers. I don't like believers. I want skeptics. I'll take skeptics any day of the week um, because skeptics will figure it out. You know, they'll think through it. They'll figure out what the truth is. They'll separate back from fiction. They'll figure it out. Um, 
so I think there's a lot of value in skepticism. I I kind of wish people were a bit more skeptical up and down the chain. I tell my parents all the time, I mean, come on, you know, be a little skeptical of that thing that you're seeing on that news source. You know, that that may or may not be the way it is. So I think skepticism is good, but skepticism, and I think I think I don't have any, but I would, you know, I just think that Gen Xers, those that got you know, into this great migration and kind of gave the, gave the boss the finger and walked out, you know, figuratively or literally. Um, I I think that they, I think skepticism is wound up in that, you know, and I think they just had it. Um, And so talk to me about skepticism and Mm -hmm. is it going to be good? Is it going to be, is it going to mess us up? Is it going to be something that's going to drive our kids crazy one day? Like, you know, I mean, I, that's the thing I keep thinking about. Is it, is this skepticism a good thing, a bad thing or neutral or what? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to reframe the the word there because skeptical has a tendency to to have a negative connotation. Yeah, it does. When we say it, we say it like almost as a slur. And so here's what I would call us. We are good, uh, critical consumers of information. We're very critical okay, like consumers. <laughs> and so the idea yes. is, is that everybody's got an angle. I think that that's where where Gen Xers sort of sit in the idea of nothing's totally free. Everyone's got is working an angle along the way. And the more, more that you hear the different perspectives, the more you are able to have a fully formed opinion of your own. So I think that this is where you were talking about the idea of like talking to your parents and saying, hey, maybe not just one news source would be a good idea for you. That that goes along with our idea of being a critical consumer of information, of us saying, well, you know that everyone's technically slanted. So what I'm looking for is does this group, this group, and this group all repeat the same primary facts? We have to listen in order to become critical consumers. It's the same reason why we get frustrated with our um, our millennials or Gen Z children, where we look at them and we're like, really? Where did you get that information off Twitter? Like, vet your sources, you know, just because Kardashian- How many times have I said that? Like a million. A billion, like where <laughs> check your sources. And so we, we have a tendency to do a lot more of like, according to who, well, who said it and why should I believe them? And and that actually is a huge advantage, I think. Um, and, and I think we've done it, especially uh, as you were talking about as women, we've done a really good job of Gen um, Xers having uh, Gen Z children, females in particular, that we have equipped them to be very critical consumers. Um, I, and if you talk to any Gen Zs, they will tell you that even though they are a go with the flow, you know, that uh, everybody does a trend, they're all in. They all have really strong opinions about many things that I sure wasn't thinking about at 15 years of age. That's true. Um, and, and so the, and, and they will look at it and go, oh, well, I don't believe, I don't believe this person. I do believe that person. And, and, and that's, that's good. I think we've passed that down to them that a healthy dose of skepticism. Um, and we're seeing that come out in our Gen Z females, very strong of, um, you know, by choosing who they decide to follow on social media or who they refer to, mm-hmm. right? That you can have somebody that everyone else has said, yes, this is a valid source. And all of a sudden they go, nope, what they just did is too far off the range. They're canceled. We disapprove. They're no longer a valid source. Um, it's an interesting concept because it makes them, you think, is it popular or is it that they're being critical consumers? You can only lie to us so many times before we're like, I'm out. 
I'm well, that moves things so much from being a critical consumer to, oh, well, if everybody else says that this person is out because they held this one opinion, now you're not a critical consumer anymore. You're just following what all your friends think about this person. Right. And, and that's, I think, where, why, we, why we, it's so good that we are teaching them, right? We're challenging them now is what's happening. So because we are more skeptical, they spit that nonsense that you were just talking about, right? Well, Jenny said, and you're like, who's Jenny? You shouldn't believe Jenny. Why Jenny doesn't know anything. Jenny's a fetus. You know what I mean? Like you, you sort of saying like you start having those conversations with them, but the fact that they're even having those conversations with their parents, with their teachers is so opposite of what has happened before that it was, we were very much trained, I think as females, as there's a people that have the higher knowledge, your job is to accrue that knowledge and regurgitate it as much as possible. And and now you've had, you know, basically two generations back to back of people who are like, hmm, no, I don't necessarily buy that at all. But it does make us mad as Gen Xers when they don't fact check, right? When well, they do thank you for that, them. because that's been a, ever since we had our last show on this topic, I really wanted to get into that skepticism idea and I, or critical consumer of information yes. concept. And it's because I do think it's on balance good uh although of course like anything it could it could be taken to an extreme and be a negative but yeah great i mean i don't know about you but like when when um when brad pitt and angelina jolie started dating i immediately was like what's the angle you know what i mean like (laughs) so the two most beautiful people in the world hook up and then they adopt people you know what i mean like immediately i'm in that weird like well this is good for image since you just broke up a marriage like immediately i go into those (laughs) kind of skeptical we can't help it and that's the problem is that in some workplaces, what's happening is people are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. you said this was impossible, right? Mm-hmm. You said that we could never work from home, that our, our information was too critical, that we had to, right? And now all of a sudden they're like, well, what else have you lied to me about? What else is maybe not the full story? Could we really have not had to go to arbitration and could have been able to take this to court? Um, the, the people... Should should there have been a heavier punishment for that sexual harassment situation? I think we're questioning more and more things, and, mm-hmm. and that I think is is good long term. And well, and that's where the disaffected piece comes in. That's probably where that word gets mentioned when it comes because yeah, they yeah they're asking themselves those hard questions. And so. in particular, right now, when when you're seeing when you were talking about the Great Resignation, and, and that's the bottom line is that a lot of people, women in their 40s and 50s, are looking at it and going you know, my time is awfully valuable. And uh, mm-hmm. when I break this down with my commute and my showering, my yelling at my children to get to school on time and all that kind of stuff, I'm going to have to have some hazard pay. Um, <laughs> so you're either going to have to pay me more, right, to do that, um, or I'm going to find somebody who will let me do it the way I want. Yeah, and the cool thing that I'm seeing with that is that for during this is that these women, I, you know, we did a show about COVID and asked ourselves, are there any positives? Because there's, of course, so many negatives, you know, never ending negatives. But we did have to, it did force people to ask themselves questions about their lives and their work and their their worth and what they really want to do and what really matters to them. And, you know, that's not all bad. No, and I totally believe that that in many ways, having that pause, right, where people could sit and, and reevaluate in a different way, when it all gets stripped away and you have a chance to breathe, what do you want then? And I think that that, we, you know, we've been so busy climbing, 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 uh, that we hadn't taken an opportunity to look back and see how high, how far we've actually come. And it gave us an opportunity to do that and say, do I want to keep going up the mountain or... Am I good? Am I good right here? I'm perfectly fine right here. This is still a nice view. 
Kristen, you touched on a couple of power shifts. So when you think about Gen Z having the ability to cancel people, that's a, that's power. When you talk about millennials having the technical prowess and some of that stuff that maybe older generations just haven't taken the time or effort to learn and they've depended on those millennials, well, that that's a level of power. What do you see in those, I guess, upper echelons of leadership where, how, how are they handling? What do you recommend for older groups who the power has shifted to manage that? Yeah. Well, one of the first things that we always need to do if we want to be good leaders is check our ego. Um, and that's one of the things that I think we're not particularly good at. We, we applaud the idea of work harder. Um, it's like, even like if you look on LinkedIn, everything's like, I'm going to grind today. I'm going to bust it today. I'm going to, and I'm like, some days I don't feel like grinding. Sometimes I feel like napping and that's, I, that doesn't make me a bad person. Um, and so I, I think uh, the first thing that's going to have to happen is the ego because, because the way, the time that baby boomers came, right? They came at a crucial time. They're a massive generation. And then for the vast majority of their lives, they've been steadily accruing large amounts of wealth. Okay. I mean, as far as when you look at inflation, things like that, when you look at their numbers, it's, it's pretty significant. And so, um, you know, they've, they've been bringing in dough. That's why they, that's why they eat out more than any other generation still to this day. Um, so all of a sudden you've got a group of people who are used to being in power and now you've got this new group of people who have the numbers in reality have the numbers um now millennials are bigger by at birth rate they were bigger by six million so already they were larger um and that's before you get into any kind of immigration or anything like that but but up till this point you sweet millennials haven't had any money in your back pocket right so now all of a sudden they're they're doing things that indicate that they're they're getting enough wealth they're buying a home they're deciding whether they want to have children they're um, buying a guest home or they're renting a property right they're doing a lot of these things that are visual indicators of uh, I've leveled out a little bit. I'm not going to be as erratic and I'm, I'm doing more grown, grown folks things, right? And so th that's happening. And that's, that's a threat because power is not particularly excited about another set of power coming in and taking over. So that's one of the big things that I think that many people who are in leadership today, if you are intentional about finding who's going to be your legacy, I think you'll do a lot better as you transition into the latter parts of your career. Um, you know, the idea is that it's, it's sort of, it's sort of U-shaped, right? There's sort of the idea of um, you don't really know a whole lot uh, and you don't have as much work and then you have, a, you know, a whole lot and you have, oh my gosh, so much work. And then the idea is, you know, a whole lot, but you don't have so much work, like, like enjoy the ride along the way uh, that could be happening. But I think there are a lot of people who are intimidated by the idea of finding somebody and pouring their subject matter expertise into that person because they don't want to be replaced. Um, and so uh, that's why mentorship programs just honestly didn't do very well. There's a big push for those about 10 years ago. And they said, we're going to match all these boomers and these millennials together. And they're just going to share all the magic. And boomers are like, why the heck would I do that? Why would I why would I tell this kid that can work at double my speed and half my pay all my trade secrets? I'm no dummy. So, um, so, but now they're, they're getting to the point now where it's like, maybe I do, you know, maybe I don't want as much work. And if you're the only one who knows how to do a certain thing and your ego won't let you train a new person, then you're going to continue to feel stressed out, irritated, um, and not enjoy the second 
the second part of the you of your <laughs> of your job where you're more supervisory and advisory and and getting to make cool big decisions. So um, I think the, the the big advice that I would say is is where where is your resistance? If you do fall into that level, is to ask yourself. Why am I resistant to this? Do I feel like it's a power change? Am I worried that people are not going to do what's in my best interest? Am I terrified the company is going to cut me off as soon as I give away my trade secrets? Um, you know, what, where is this? And then look at it from the idea of I've been working all this time building this big, beautiful thing. I want it to have a life beyond me. And we do see that many boomers are very interested in the idea of legacy, not financial legacy, right? They'll look at their kids right now and tell you, you ain't getting no money. That ain't going to happen. I'm spending it all, right? Um, but as far as a, a lifelong legacy, we do find that they're very interested in that. So I, I think that checking your ego, finding one that you like is a key, right? Finding one or two millennials that you like, that you jive with personality-wise, that you see as sort of a shiny diamond. And then I think beyond just trading over um, a lot of people, they forget that that part of teaching the next generation is teaching them the soft skills. That's really where the next generation of people need help. Technology is moving so quickly that if you're just focused on getting them this one program and how it works or this one missile and how it fires, that missile might not exist in five years. So instead, what we need to do is find people that we say, you've got a brain, you're teachable and you're tolerable hooray, you're hired. And then we say, now I'm going to teach you how to deal with mean clients and how to deal with glacial red tape and how to, right, and how to build a team and how to lead from afar and how, it's, it's that, that soft skill stuff that we really need to transfer on. And you can't beat the boomers on that. They're the best at that. Um, and so what, what we need is maybe less of the hard skill transfer and more of the soft skill. I think that's so important, Kristen. I'm so I'm so glad you just said that about the soft skills. I've I've been in in positions before where the kind of full steam ahead, I'm going to figure out how to figure this out mentality of being a millennial has not served me because I've run into that bureaucracy. I've run into mm -hmm. that mountain of of red tape, and you think there ought to be a way around it, but just because you think there ought to be a way around it doesn't mean there is one. And so relying on the people with that institutional knowledge to be able to pass that along to you. Isn't, I mean, it doesn't make the bureaucracy make sense, but it helps you make sense of the bureaucracy. Right. You, you, need, you need somebody to teach you how to play the game. Right. So the idea the, there, because there is a game, there's a game happening at work and people that can play that social game along the way do significantly better. And so I think you're hitting hitting a really interesting point. Um, all around that, that's that tribal knowledge is what we call it. It's passing along tribal knowledge that if you want to get to the major, you actually have to talk to this person and then this person because they're their gatekeepers. Or you'll never get an idea past Jim because Jim has a weird ego. But if you go to him and say, hey, Jim, nobody else in the world could get this done but you, would you mind helping me out? And you don't mind sharing credit, then go to Jim. It's that tribal knowledge that, that I think we're not has not been expressed in the same sort of way. And, and I think that's what millennials could really benefit from. Um, and definitely Gen Z's because laud, they are no, no conflict human beings. Millennials were all about the conflict, right? Flip the board, let's do it, let's go to war. And Gen Z's are like, just don't yell at me. And if you do yell at me, I'm out. Yes, because they don't know how to yell. They're on social media. You know, they, they can they yell with their thumbs. Yes, oh, they, they can brave. yell with their thumbs. Yes. With their thumbs. They are, 
You know, and they have been, I do want to, we don't have a lot of time left, Kristen, but I don't want to leave this show without talking about Gen Z a little bit more because they are our kiddos. A lot of our, a lot of our, um, our listeners are raising them. We are beginning to hire them. Um, The oldest ones are in their mid twenties now. Um, And they've been described as tech addicts and antisocial and then, you know, COVID uh, damage and, um, and not to mention like the gender fluidity kind of things going on. And like, you know, in some ways I, I, when I talk to my kids, sometimes I think, wow, you're so free. Mm. There's so much freedom. And I envy them a a little bit because they feel they are very uninhibited. I mean, there's yeah, think not... about, would you have ever danced in the middle of a street to music that no one else can hear when you no. were a teenager? No. No, and then but... put it online for everyone else in the school to judge your dancing skills? Um, pass. <laughs> so Gen Z, we're raising them, hmm. we're hiring them. Ah, there's like a whole show on this one. But, oh, I like um, it. I, oh. You want to do a Gen Z show? Let's do that for sure. Um, so uh, here's some of the big things you need to know about Gen Zs. The first one that I would say is that this is a group of very risk averse people. Okay. So millennials are work. Uh, well, Gen Xers and boomers are very risky on the whole, right? We'll just like, even now we'll sack it all. Doesn't matter that we've had 15 years. If you're a miserable place to work and somebody else will offer me more of what I want, sack it, I'm going to go. Or that's why there's more entrepreneurs we see coming out of that. And then we saw millennials in particular on the front end of the millennials, very much, very much more adventurous, right? I'm going to request to have two months off so I can find myself in Bali or whatever, like, you know, they're, they're, they're big risk takers, but these people are not, not big risk takers at all. Um, so much to the point that it's almost like they want a checklist for everything. This is an important thing for you to kind of think about. So this is a generation of people that have never, even in elementary school, they've had a syllabus that says, here's exactly what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, in what order. And then they've had a rubric that says, if you want to get an A, you'll do this, 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 and this, B, right? They've had all these sort of lists. And Kristen, they can follow directions. Oh, they can totally follow directions, right? And even then they can decide how, much they want to follow directions because they see what the C version of following directions is versus the A version of following directions. So they're, they're used to this idea of you laying everything out for them. And so what's happened is because everything has been very articulated, they know what to expect, when to expect it, when things are very up and down, right? Have to go all over the place. Um, it, it makes them freak out, right? They like to have a plan. Uh, and this is part of why you were talking about the COVID trauma that happened to this generation. That's part of what the COVID trauma happened is that they they are more, uh, I gotta get, you know, like we gotta get stuff uh, done and I need to know what to expect and I can't and, and then it didn't happen. So I think long-term it's gonna be beneficial for them but those ones on the front end, no doubt about it, very risk averse. They want you to lay every single thing out and then they will come and bring it to you over and over and over and check this. Do you think this is right? Before I send this email, uh, Elizabeth, do you think that I should? And you're like, dude, I pay you to send the email. I don't need to see every single email. Um, but they're, they're just by far more risk averse um, and they're very, very low confrontation, um, like we were talking about before. So it's not uncommon for you to have a Gen Z who will stand at your office door and chit chat with you for 20 minutes and then go back to their office and send you an email that's like, oh, by the way, I just tanked the Johnson account. 
right? And and like they they're not going to have that one on one. So it's interesting because uh, what I would say is what we're seeing is like Gen Zs have always had a low level threat at the least. Okay, and here's what I mean by that. This is a generation that has never been without school shooting sort of possibility, right? And they've seen how things can escalate very, very quickly. Um, and that's why, you, like, even when you hear people talking about bullying, like when we grew up, people would be like, just punch them in the face, right? If they bully you. Well, now we're not having that conversation as much because they're like, because if you punch them in the face, they might come back with a knife tomorrow or they might come back with a gun tomorrow. So there's this sort of idea of like, keep it low, keep it low. Don't do too much to anybody unless you can do it incognito. And that's why the cyberbullying, right, has become so, so, so very common is that you can do it without being direct threat of getting punched, getting hit, doing, you, you follow guys where I'm saying on that? Definitely. This low level threat has made them much more, not only risk averse, they're less likely to take a chance where they could get hurt, but there's also that that level of um, bad things could happen, right? I mean, they, this is the kids that are, were born after 9-11. They've always had this sort of terrorist thing buzzing around in the background. Um, and we've also kept our uh, social media keeps their news in front of them all the time. I would say this is probably the most news frenzy generation that we have because they can't avoid it. As Gen, you know, as Gen Xers, our parents vetted everything for us. They watched the five o'clock or the nine o'clock, and then they decided what they were going to tell us what's going on. And that's not what's happened to these people. They could be online playing a game and a pop-up comes up and says, don't forget about Ukraine, <laughs> right? And it right. brings them into the conversation in a totally different way. So there's always been this sort of buzz around the back that's made them, I think, a little more nervous that things can escalate very quickly, which makes them just a little less likely to take risk and a little less likely to be confrontational. But I like, I like them a lot. Boy, I had never thought of that risk adversity, but that that makes a lot of sense. Well, Kristen, this is so fascinating. As always, we're gonna have to do like round three in exactly a year since I guess we're making this a tradition. Thank you so much for coming on. Can you please tell our community where they can find and connect with you? Absolutely. So I have a brand new website about to launch, woohoo, hopefully in April, um, but it still will be at genwhy, G-E-N-W-H-Y.com. And on that, you'll be able to learn about how I can do a presentation for you, how I could be an MC for one of your events, if that was something you were looking for, uh, consulting, obviously. And then I'm also launching online training modules. So there will be opportunities for you to take a whole class on how to be a better public speaker and also how to be a better listener, learn about generations things like that. So if it's something you're interested in, you'll be able to find everything you could possibly need at Gen Y. But at the very least, go to LinkedIn and look me up, Kristen Scroggin. Um, and uh, I'm also on Instagram at Gen Y Communications. And uh, we, let's look, let's hook up and laugh together. Love it. Bell Curve is brought to you by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is an organizational performance consulting firm that's known for robust, evidence-based, tailored solutions to your toughest challenges be they problems with people, processes, or technology. So sometimes leaders and teams get stuck and don't see the root issues causing stagnation, unmet goals, or toxicity in their cultures. Higher Echelon comes in and does a rigorous diagnosis and delivers custom solutions. Reach out on LinkedIn or at higherechelon.com. You can also connect with us at our website, bellcurvepodcast.com. And please consider contributing to the show at patreon.com slash bellcurvepod. See you next time. And thanks again, Kristen. 